Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It is March 16th, 2018. I'm Charlie Sykes, joined by Mike Warren of The Weekly Standard. More chaos in the White House. Uh, first of all, thanks for joining me, Mike. I appreciate it very much. Yeah, thanks, Charlie. And I, uh, let me say, it's I wouldn't call it chaos so much as controlled chaos. This is, this is what Donald Trump lives for. This is how he runs his uh, operation. And uh, I, I kind of think he, he loves it all. Oh, he definitely loves it all. You know, and you know, why is there chaos in the White House? It's because this is the chaos president. This is exactly what he wants. There's no question about it. Before we get to that, though, um, I, I, I see that uh, Stormy Daniels' lawyer, Michael uh, Avenetti, uh, was, uh, was on Morning Joe this morning and uh, dropped kind of a I, – I don't know whether we actually have any bombshells anymore – but uh, says that uh, that Stormy Daniels, who uh, alleges uh, allegedly had an affair with uh, the president of the United States some years back, that she had been physically threatened at some point. Um, obviously, we can't comment on whether that's true or not. But I, I think you and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I continue to be amazed that this story, unlike so many other uh, Trump scandal stories, you know, keeps going, and if anything, seems to be getting bigger, culminating in what is probably going to be a relatively highly rated 60-minute show that's scheduled for March 25th. Well, first of all, it's sex. Sex sells. Sex is, uh, you sex know, and money. It's a, exactly. It's a, a lurid story. It's one that we're all kind of familiar with, so uh, uh, maybe not at the level of president and porn star, but... Uh, uh, you know, and I will say, sort of to inject a little skepticism, um, this lawyer of, of I guess we should call her by her real name, St- Stephanie Clifford, this lawyer of hers is seems to be doing whatever he can to keep the story going. Oh, yeah. Um, and and, and I, I wonder if he's a little bit uh, uh, sort of getting out over his skis. He, he never quite delivers on what uh, some of the most outlandish promises he makes. So uh, I, I guess I should say, just let us see. But I do think that... Um, it, it's a problem because it has it, it, it's interesting because it's the sex, but it's a problem, I think, because of the money and the question of of this huge payment, one hundred thirty thousand um, dollars right before the election. The questions about, you know, what, what was always said uh, in, in, you know, by Deep Throat and, and uh, all the king's men uh, follow the money. I think that is why this problem continues to be a problem and is not going away. Um, but we should just kind of wait and see and maybe just maybe um, have a little bit of skepticism for what the what, I don't mean to denigrate the adult no. film industry, but for what the porn star and, and her lawyer who are getting a lot of attention say. they yeah, well, I mean, you, you do have the all of those elements. you have the, the the porn star, you have the sex, you have the money, you have the the possibility of a cover up. you have an incredibly um, unbelievable story from Michael Cohen, who you know continues to be in the running for uh, is this the worst lawyer absolutely ever? I, uh, I I think I may have mentioned it on the podcast yesterday, but I actually met this uh, lawyer. I was on on set with him the other day, and uh, you know he he really does walk this very careful line of teasing things out. Um, you know, saying he doesn't want to get out over his skis, but certainly building interest in all of this. And and I have to say, I, this was the first time that I thought that uh, Donald Trump has uh, come up against uh, some folks who are pretty good at his own game. Uh, <laughs> and his in, match, right? In the, you know, and so if, uh, you know, the 60 Minutes 
program. I mean, apparently the delay has been because they are fact-checking certain allegations she has made, which of course now raises the question whether she has corroborating evidence. Uh, we don't know whether there's a blue dress. Um, I don't think that Donald Trump has ever been known for sexting or anything like that. But uh, there, there. It, you, yes, you should always approach these things with skepticism, but I continue to be, I guess, it's the irony with all of these huge stories swirling around, you know, this the global uh, un- uncertainty, the Russia investigation, you know, how remarkable it would be if Donald Trump is actually brought down by, you know, a porn star and, and hush money. But uh, mo- moving on, um, the uh, the revolving door in the in the White House, of course, is the top story. And by the time this airs, Friday afternoon, we may get a lot of answers, but as of this moment, um, all the speculation is about H.R. McMaster uh, on the way out. Uh, so what uh, what are you hearing? Well, I think McMaster is on the way out. The Washington Post had a story Thursday night um, that sourced five sources saying that uh, the president had, uh, let's be very precise here, had made a decision that he was going to be firing or kicking out uh, H.R. McMaster from the National Security Advisor position, um, but that he hadn't made that. He wanted, a, uh, he wanted a soft landing. He didn't want to humiliate McMaster, and I guess a sort of anonymously sourced uh, uh, <laughs> front-page Washington Post story uh, doesn't count uh, as, uh, as humiliation, but that's where we are. Um, look, I think that uh, this has been a long time coming. The personal relationship between McMaster and Trump has never uh, been that good. Remember, McMaster came in as kind of a replacement for Mike Flynn um, after Flynn, uh, uh, you know, resigned uh, for all the things that Flynn did during the transition. Flynn was very simpatico with Trump. They were they were very close on the campaign. Um, uh, Trump really didn't even want uh, to get rid of Flynn, uh, but sort of had his hand forced. And McMaster, I think, came into that. Um, already sort of not damaged goods, but but coming in as a, in a sort of uh, bad situation. And then you add on top of that um, a relationship that 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 never really got past this idea that McMaster was a uh, didn't think very highly of the president, uh, that he uh, sort of talked down to him in his briefings with the president, uh, giving him a lot of information that the president thought was unnecessary and sort of uh, uh, patronizing. Um, and, and so that has been sort of that, that's the, the personal dynamic of this um, that felt like, well, you know, McMaster could be going uh, any second. Something has changed. I'm not quite sure what it is. Something has changed in the last couple of weeks um, that has felt uh, has, has has meant the president feels like he has to make a change. He apparently has made that decision, and the White House hasn't exactly denied what uh, what the Post reported. Yeah, the uh, a lot of speculation about John Bolton, despite the porn stash. So maybe the president's going to make a an exception for his uh, his central casting. You know, this this has really become um, very Byzantine. You know, in the in the original sense of of that term of the of the palace intrigue, with the suggestions that that General John Kelly is one of the folks who is pushing H.R. McMaster out, and he, because he's uh, he's upset about the way that uh, Tillerson was fired. And, and again, this is really inside baseball here. Um, but I guess the question is, um, you know, are are you seeing a changing of the guard in which you have some of the so-called euphemistically titled uh, grown-ups in the room, the adults in the room, being pushed out for people who are going to be more, I don't know, um, malleable for the president's impulses and instincts? 
Uh, I don't know if I quite characterize it that way, Charlie. It's, it, 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 you're getting to something there, but I think it's 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 just a little slightly off because what Trump most values are people who. Um, it's not just simply agree with him. It's people who uh, flatter him, people who make him feel like he's the one in charge. Um, and he's been surrounded by people, some of which, some of whom have been very sort of uh, guiding the president away from his worst instincts, um, and that has frustrated him. But it, I would say that what's been more critical uh, for for the, for this change is that. Um, he now feels he appears to now feel and this is what what people are, are who who talk to him frequently say uh, is that he he feels that uh, he needs people around him uh, or the people who are around him, people like Tillerson people like McMaster sort of don't treat him in the in the way that he wants to be treated. You have somebody like, say, Mike Pompeo and Steve Hayes, uh, our editor in chief, has a piece in the new issue of the Weekly Standard that gets to this. Mike Pompeo, the new Secretary of State uh, nominee or designated nominee, um, is not somebody who is a yes man for Donald Trump, but he is somebody who has a good rapport with with the president. And um, while he may be trying to guide the president in more of his direction, sort of away from his worst uh, impulses on diplomacy and foreign policy, he does it in a way that's not um, uh, that 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 speak that sort of flatters the president and, and doesn't talk down to him. I think that's the that's more of what Trump is looking for, and sometimes that manifests itself in people like Peter Navarro. Uh, well, I was gonna, I was going to you sure. have a profile of him, and he's he's sort of famously known as uh, admitting that that his job is to come up with uh, the facts and the data to support the president's gut instincts. Yeah, so Peter Navarro comes in. He's a sort of a bizarre. Uh, uh, There's a con- word for that. Yeah, he's a, he's kind of a well, he's a gadfly economist. He's obsessed with China. He's obsessed with trade, and um, he came in from the very beginning of the administration um, as uh, head of this new National Trade Council office that that the president uh, created. And uh, but he was kind of on the on the sidelines, um, always kind of. There, I, almost like the devil on Trump's shoulder, sort of telling him what he wanted to hear about trade and about China, about the need for more tariffs, um, but but didn't really have the the power within the West. Sort of as as much as the Kremlinology of the West Wing can be uh, understood, he didn't really have the power base. That was Gary Cohn uh, and some of the other uh, you might call them globalists <laughs> within the West Wing. Peter Navarro seems to um, have stuck around long enough, though, to uh, uh, be kind of whispering in Trump's ear. Uh, or at least reflecting of what Trump really thinks in his gut uh, and sort of, as he says, supplying the the facts or the facts as Navarro sees them uh, to support that, uh, at least on issues of trade in China. And that seems to be where, where the president's going. So how is he going to get along with Larry Kudlow? This uh, is the, in- the, the the latest of the cable TV talking heads to come into the administration. Yeah, this is really interesting. I think because Cudlow, of course, is um, a, f- a free marketer, a free trader, um, and uh, and in fact, just a couple weeks, I should say, a couple days before he was named to be the new National Economic Council director, uh, wrote a, an op-ed criticizing Trump for the tariffs uh, for these new steel and aluminum tariffs. And um, so he comes in here. Now, this is somebody you, you mentioned malleable, Charlie. This is somebody, though, Larry Kudlow, who seems to be willing to be more malleable. He has said that, um, you know, Peter Navarro's views on on China, some of them are correct. And 
uh, he sort of gets to a, a, a he gets to some of the problems. He doesn't agree with the tariffs, but he thinks that we need to be tougher on China. I think they have a they will have a better personal relationship than uh, Peter Navarro and Gary Cohn had. Um, the Wall Street Journal reported that they got into shouting matches, and <laughs> Gary Cohn would scream at him. I was told that uh, he, he, you know, Navarro would frequently say, "Oh, you you don't support this because this hurts you, you globalists. Um, you know, this this hurts your 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 bottom line, your stock portfolio." So um, I think they're going to have a better personal relationship, but I think it's in many ways it's because. Uh, Cudlow has a better personal relationship with Trump, and Cudlow's probably willing to be a little more malleable or get, go along to get along uh, if he can influence the president on other areas that he thinks are very important uh, that, that sort of focus on growth. Yeah, I think that you have better relationships between Trump and Pompeo and Trump and Kudlow, so he's perhaps more likely to listen to them. The problem with uh, Larry Kudlow, and I like Larry Kudlow, I mean, I, I followed him for many, many years. And uh, you know, I want to raise my hand here about as somebody who has been wrong in the past. We've all been wrong, but Larry Kudlow has been pretty spectacularly wrong. And uh, you know, including I, I completely missed this. Have you seen the fact that back in two thousand two, he wrote a column? And I, you know, I'm I'm open to suggestion on this, but a column essentially saying we should go to war in Iraq to boost the stock market. And and I actually had to read it two two or three times ago, no, no one would have write a piece like this. Nobody would say that, hey, the stock market is sluggish. We need a war to juice it up. And apparently he did. Now, in his defense, I suppose you could say that no one could have predicted before the war in Iraq um, how how costly it would be. You know, people had convinced themselves that it was going to be, you know, quick and easy and simple. But still, sheesh. And, and then he also... Uh, uh, you know, wrote, uh, don't worry about a recession coming in uh, in 2008. It's not going to happen. So, you know, uh, you, you, you hope that uh, that he won't be too malleable. You also hope that he won't be spectacularly wrong. Um, I will so- say this, Charlie. He, he did recommend in 2008 – um, uh, you know, in that in that column, uh, recommending you know, or saying that there's going to be no recession, don't worry about it. He said to buy stock, and and if you were playing the long game, if you had bought stock in 2008, <laughs> it's looking great now. So you know, uh, maybe the joke's on us. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of the stop clock, though. Right. <laughs> Actually, I wish that I had. I know. Back right? back then, uh, a lot of stories about uh, Russia and the Russian investigation. I just wanted to uh, just make mention that the in, in my hometown here in uh, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I actually still am here, here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. By the way, do you realize that we've done this podcast? We've done this podcast from Miami, from Maui, from uh, Manhattan, and from Mequon. There's a pattern here. Talk, okay. Yeah, t- talk about globalists. You know, I mean, we are we are global. <laughs> well, you are, Charles. I'm, I've been stuck yeah. here in uh, in, in the belt. <laughs> <You know, laughs> well, there's a story in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel about Russian trolls. Uh, there was a riot uh, in, uh, in the central city of uh, a small riot in the central city of Milwaukee in August 2016, and what uh, what the newspaper is reporting this morning is they have found that Russian linked accounts. Um, including one of them named in this recent federal uh, Mueller indictment, sent more than 30 tweets to spread racial animus, blame Democrats for the chaos, amplify the voices of folks like former Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark, who were commenting on Sherman Park. And and apparently they also found that some of these uh, Russian link bots were advancing the candidacy of Paul Nalen, who we will remember is the unhinged bigot who ran in the Republican primary against Paul Ryan and got a whopping 15% of the vote. What a surprise that the Russians would have uh, fixated on Paul Nalen. I just mentioned this because we're finding out more as time goes on about 
the kinds of issues that uh, that the Russians might have been involved in. Um, but speaking of the Russians, the, the Trump administration um, took a relatively strong stand you know, in the wake of the attack on the, on the former Russian spy, um, significant sanctions. Uh, I mean, this, this, this was a pretty dramatic move, wasn't it? Right. They were, they were sort of uh, legally obligated to do it, right? The, the um, Congress had passed a law and, and the um, report sort of uh, forced the, the, the administration's hand, but credit to them. And it, it, it was, I think these, this is a significant step in the right direction in addressing uh, exactly what you just described, Charlie, which is a I think it's very clear there's an effort and it may be crude. It may have uh, failed. And I actually think in the grand scheme of things, it's it's hard to attribute Donald Trump's election. Uh, as far as we can tell, Donald Trump's election to this. Um, it's a it's problematic because it's a binary uh, choice in a presidential right. election. Um, the Russians and Putin clearly just they, they, they disliked Hillary Clinton for a lot of reasons that had nothing to do with Donald Trump. Um, and um, and. And I think that uh, the the goal overall is to be disruptive, not necessarily to support one candidate or another, although we may find out more information and we may find out uh, uh, things that corroborate the, the idea what, that I think is plausible that they found in uh, the Trump campaign, you know, useful idiots um, to, to, to uh, steal a term. Um, but yeah. I think this is a this is a good step. Um, and it shows you, I think, as well, that uh, for all the concerns that uh, liberals have about, you know, Donald Trump. And, and not calling out the Russians for the poisoning, which I think he should, the poisoning of the um, uh, of the folks in London, um, that the administration itself sort of churns on and, and, and keeps going and does the things that Congress asks them and expects them to do. Um, uh, and, and I think uh, for whatever comfort we can grab from that, we should we should take it and hold on to it and and let it keep us warm at night. Yeah, well, it, it is a, obviously a dramatic escalation by Putin to actually be uh, attempting to murder folks in, in England. And then apparently, um, you know, from the Russian point of view, this seems to simply be reinforcing his his image as a strong man, somebody who is going to fight back. Uh, we're running out of time, but uh, obviously we had a major uh, uh, development with the Mueller investigation with the reports that, uh, that uh, the special prosecutor is actually uh, subpoenaing documents from the Trump organization which would suggest that he's crossing the the red line that uh, the President Trump once drew about going after his personal private business. I think this is going to be, um, well, again, we have no idea what's really going on in the Mueller investigation. You know, you can use the analogy of the iceberg or having 50 pieces of a 500-piece puzzle or, or whatnot. But it's pretty clear that if we stick with the adage, follow the money, we'll get an indication of where this is going. But there's there's no question that – I mean I personally think this is one of the most significant developments so far to realize that, uh, that Mueller is going after Donald Trump's private business, which again would link the president directly to whatever it is he's investigating. And who knows whether it's about collusion or conspiracy or money laundering or, or whatnot. Your thoughts? Uh- I agree with you, Charlie. I think it's significant. And, and because of all the chaos that we opened up the show with that's that's going on concurrently, I think it somewhat got lost in, in, in all of that news. But it is significant. There is a question about whether or not uh, Trump will enforce that red line. Um, you know, will he actually fire Jeff Sessions or put the pressure on, on Rosenstein? Um, I don't know. I don't think he's in a very good political position to do so. Um, but but it, there's there's no doubt. And I will say this just to end uh, on this on this thought. 
the president's lawyers have been telling him now for months <laughs> that the it, Mueller investigation is just about to wrap up any second now. It's it's really kind of uh, winding down. Um, and there have been indications from the Mueller team that, that that's the case. I think this development suggests that it's uh, we're, we're, we, we are certainly closer to the end of it than we were. Um, but it, we may not be as close as we think. And, and there could be a lot more, uh, again, as you say, a, an iceberg of information that we simply don't know about. Anybody who says... It's it's almost over, or nothing has been found out. Uh, they're just they're just lying to you. They're, there's so much we don't know. Well, that's exactly right. When, when we launched this podcast, I said this one of our, our missions would be to make it the, the place where bullshit goes to die. And, and those claims that this thing is almost over, or that we know really what the full scope is, well, that would be, I would have to say, uh, bullshit. Hey, Mike Warren, thanks for joining me on this Friday. Have a great weekend, and thanks for listening to the Daily Standard podcast. We'll be back on Monday.